0: I've had this circular conversation with my son elias a handful of times over the last couple of months and it's one of those conversations that uh kids keep uh, bringing up they keep reappearing i know you guys are tired of me starting off sermons with stories about my kids i don't know what to say but like <laughs> but anyways he's been doing this so um you know this conversation it doesn't seem too monumental the first time but the fifth and sixth time you're like he's really wrestling with something he's really trying to think this through so you realize how important it is, and actually, just this last week, right out there at uh, at the bathrooms, we were coming out of the bathrooms, and he he asked me this question again. So this is—it's not really a question; it's more of a statement. He says he says this. He says, "Daddy, today is tomorrow," and you guys are like, "What is he talking about?" So well, let me explain it. So this was about the fourth or fifth time he'd said this to me, so I, I knew. You know, I knew the pathway we were gonna walk. I say, what do you mean, Elias? And he says, Well, yesterday you said that tomorrow we're going to church and we're at church today, so today is therefore tomorrow. And I said, Yeah, yeah, but but Elias, that was that was yesterday. Today is today. Today is yesterday's tomorrow, but today is not tomorrow. Today is today. And he says, Yeah, yeah, Daddy, I know. I know. Today is tomorrow. And I say, no, no, not exactly. Like yesterday, today, and tomorrow are just words that we use to describe time in relation to another point in time. I think, Elias, I think if I draw it for you, uh, you'll understand what I'm saying. And he says, no, Daddy, you don't need to. I already understand. Today is tomorrow. So, time is an elusive concept, and Elias is trying to figure that out. Leela is also trying to figure that out. Her questions go a little bit deeper. She asked me to explain eternity to her. And for some reason, she always does this in the car, usually when we're late to uh, school or work or church. And she starts peppering me with these questions. And uh, eventually, I have to say, you know, Leela, these are really good questions, but I have no idea how to answer these questions. They're good, but I'm not smart enough to answer these questions. Because time is an elusive concept. It's our attempt to measure the immeasurable. So this morning we're going to talk about the timeless expanse of Jesus' existence. The endless realm of our eternal God. That the old hymn says is beyond the keep of time. And guys I feel a little bit like Elias up here trying to tell you that today is tomorrow. So I am out of my depths. I think we all are out of our depths when we talk and think about this. But we're going to give it a try. As uh, has been mentioned, this is the first uh, sermon in our Advent series. Each year we remember and celebrate the birth of our Savior, Jesus, Christmas. Um, some people might consider Christmas somewhat as Jesus' origin story. We've got, you know, the census. Um, we've got the manger, uh, the angels, and the wise men, and the shepherds, and the star, and we think that is Jesus's birth. And I think some people connect that to Jesus's origin story. So this year, we're using the prologue from the Gospel of John to talk through the account of Jesus's birth in a a series uh, that we've titled, The Word Became Flesh. This is the first of those series. So John's account of Jesus's birth, you guys likely know, is quite different than the other Gospels. In fact, John doesn't even really mention Jesus's birth. I'm preaching today on John one one through five, which traces Jesus's history, his origin story farther back than the beginning of his ministry, like like Mark did. We just got done studying Mark, that starts with Jesus's min, uh, ministry. Um, John traces it back farther than the beginning of his birth, which is where Luke starts, um, and then Matthew starts with Jesus's lineage going back to Abraham. Well, John goes even farther back than creation. And he says that Jesus is the eternal divine word, which was God's agent in creation, and the fountain of life and light. That's John's starting point. And the rest of his gospel, and I'm going to be talking a lot this morning about the whole of the gospel of John, because what's here in this prologue, um, the themes that are identified are all throughout the gospel of John. But the rest of Uh, John's gospel unpacks how being born again that we're going to read about in John 3 3 and believing in Jesus is the only way to eternal life and light and this is the light and life that death and darkness did not overcome. So go ahead and open your Bibles. We're in the book of John chapter 1. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God, all things were made through him. And without him, not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So, my first point. Jesus has no origin story. He is the originator. So John starts with a phrase... And we've already picked up on it so far in our service. Brian has mentioned it. Or actually, it was Beryl that mentioned it. John starts with the phrase, in the beginning was the word. And we started our service with the first line of Genesis that says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. John means to bring our attention to that verse. This is the beginning that is the time before time. The time that my daughter asked questions about that I can't answer. The time before there was any day or there was any night to even measure time. Before the origin of everything, Jesus already was. Now, part of me wants to just kind of leave this there and move on and let you all wrestle with that in your mind as I've been wrestling, it, wrestling with it in my mind. Um, in fact, John Calvin, um, he, I wrote, read a commentary that he wrote on this section, and, and he says this. He says, We ought to be sober in thinking and modest in speaking about such high mysteries so we need to be careful when we speculate on what it was like before time existed we've got to realize that we just don't have the categories or the experience or the cognitive ability to truly understand more and less more or less try to explain the weight of eternity nor the implications and the experiences of the eternal though uh, Charles Spurgeon did a pretty good job right there um, with what, with what um, Brian read to us. But with circumspection, let's try to, let's not just leave it at that, and let's try to imagine um, what John, and understand what John is trying to tell us. So, clearly this can be read, especially in light of the verses that are to follow, um, with just creation in mind. So, um, before creation, Jesus already existed. But it can also be said that before anything existed, meaning before existing was even a thing. Before existence, Jesus was. So think about it this way. Existence, as is defined in in a dictionary, is the manner of being that's common to every mode of being. But this mode of being, this mode that we experience, uh, the only mode that we know of, that we can perceive, is not common to Jesus. There was for all of us, and for everything we see and touch, a point at which it didn't exist. We came into being, and at which point we began to share in this common manner of being. But there was no point at which Jesus came into existence. In fact, existence itself came into being through Jesus. Jesus' origin story doesn't start in Bethlehem in a manger. Jesus has no origin story. He is the originator. And a little later in the book of John, Jesus is confronted by a group of Jews, and they're saying that Jesus has a demon. And Jesus says, I don't, I don't have a demon. And besides that, anyone who keeps my word won't ever die. And these Jews say, even Abraham died. And the prophets died. Are you greater than Abraham, they asked? And Jesus said, Abraham rejoiced. That he would see my day. And he has seen it. And he was glad. And they said back to him, You're not even 50 years old. And you say you've, been, you've seen Abraham. And then Jesus responds, Before Abraham was, I am. That's the name that God used in Exodus to describe himself. So before Abraham was, meaning before Abraham even came into existence, Jesus is meaning already in existence. There was never a time in which Jesus wasn't. And these folks that heard Jesus say that picked up stones to kill him, to stone him, to kill him. You see, this is um, mind-bending stuff. This beginning has no beginning. And this eternal moment before the keep of time, before Genesis, before the foundation of the word, but before the foundation of the world, the word was hidden with God, so to speak. And now, in Jesus, it is being manifested in the flesh as a baby for our human minds and eyes to see and hear. The word became flesh. The word stepped into that manner of being that is common to every mode of being in physical form he stepped into this existence that we know as existence as a baby leaving the realms and thrones the the belts made of stars that that brian was reading about he stepped out of that eternal space into this temporal space the only space that we ever know or can understand or can perceive he came in to be with us the word became flesh jesus born yes in Bethlehem, yes. In a manger, yes. But he was existing forever already in eternity past. In the beginning was the word. And through the word, all things originated. He is the originator. I'm going to talk more about the word's role in creation and in the new creation that we see a lot in the book of John, which is a strong, strong theme. But first, let, let me just clearly define the word because maybe not everybody is following why I'm using the word in Jesus Um, interchangeably so this is made in verse 14 chapter 1 verse 14 a little bit farther down from our passage and it says the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory glory is the only son from the father full of grace and truth so here john finally says when he says the word he's talking about jesus so but let's talk a little bit more about why he chose the word the Word. So it's actually logos is the Greek term. What did it mean? Uh, So we we could look and actually will look briefly at other writings in that kind of era, um, philosophical and worldview writings that use that same word logos. So for example, the Stoics, they use the word to describe the, um, the rational principle by which everything exists, and which is of the essence of the rational human soul. So as far as they were concerned, the Stoics, there is no God other than Logos. The Stoics believed that Logos was the rational human soul. Great, as long as it's not my soul, because my soul is not rational. But their essence was that our soul was God. Now that's one worldview, it's not ours. And another worldview, this guy named Philo, or Philo, I'm not sure how it's pronounced, he was a first century Jew, but he was influenced a lot by Plato. He used the term Logos of God to describe um, this what, what he calls this ideal world and said the world that we live in is just a copy of this ideal world so logos was the ideal man the true man the primal man and we're just a copy of that ideal man so this is dualism essentially uh, uh, plato talked about it as well a true world and a copy and we live in that copy of that world so that's another worldview but not ours so um, others have used the term uh, "logos" to res- uh, talk about inner thought or reason or even science. But that, it's not ex- well, it's not exactly clear why John used the word "logos" and assigned it to Jesus here. Let's go to the Bible and, and let's see uh, what the Bible says about um, the word. So um, there are three categories I want to explore. So the first category and this is the most obvious in context of our verse, um, is in God's speech, his word in creation. So God's speech and word in creation. So in Genesis 1-3, it says, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. And Psalm 36-6 kind of expounds on this a little bit, and and, uh, the psalmist writes, by the word, the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. And by the breath of his mouth, all their hosts. So God creates through his words. His speech is his building material. The word is the agent of creation. So his speech, much more powerful than ours, not only describes and explains, like as a means of him revealing his inner thoughts and character to the world, his word actually creates material that does the revealing. That does the describing that does the explaining to a certain extent of god's inner thoughts and his character psalm 19 picks up on this when david says that the heavens declare the glory of god day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge so god reveals himself through the word in creation god speaks so to say on behalf about his glory and his knowledge but The word is more than just that, as Psalm, anybody who knows Psalm 19 also picks up on. There's more to be revealed about God than what creation tells us. All right, time and time again in the prophets, God reveals himself and his plans through his word. And this is so common in the prophets um, that we often just read right over it. I'm just gonna give you two examples um, so you can see what I'm saying. So Jeremiah 1.4, for example, says, now the word of the Lord came to me came to jeremiah and jeremiah shared that ezekiel 33 7 this is god talking to ezekiel so you son of man i have made a watchman for the house of israel whenever you hear a word from my mouth you shall give it to them the word is revelation through the law and the prophets through the biblical text that we're reading today psalm 19 says that they are more to be desired than gold lots of very fine gold and that they're sweeter than honey from the honeycomb so that's the second second aspect that I want to pull out of the word the third is deliverance and we read about this in Psalm 107:20 the god sent out his word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction so the word is deliverance deliverance from danger deliverance from sin deliverance from the fall deliverance from the death that came with the fall god's word in the old testament is his very own self-expression and the manner in which he reveals himself and he reveals himself through creation he reveals himself by talking to us through the prophets and he reveals himself by delivering and saving us and here it is personified and applied to jesus as a title So Jesus is God's ultimate self-disclosure. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The ultimate self-revelation, the ultimate self-disclosure, revealing himself in the flesh through his Son. The Word, God's eternal wisdom and his will, becomes flesh in the life of Jesus. And the Word becoming flesh shows us that it's God's nature and desire to reveal himself jesus came willingly he wanted to it was always the plan he is not removed or apart from his creation he inserts himself into this existence this mode of living that that you and i experience he entered into it he is not indifferent to it and here we see two two more characteristics as well so one the word the revelation it isn't static and it's not stationary meaning um, there's not only the original creation, there is this new creation that we're going to talk about that is being enabled by the Word becoming flesh. But for now, it's important that we know that self-reve- the self-revelation of the Word through creation is not static. It's not a once-and-done sort of thing, it continues. And also, and this is an important part: the Word is not an attribute of God not an activity per se, but it's an actual person, Jesus. And yet the word, Jesus, is also part of God's innermost being. And this is what we're going to see next. So for our next point, the word was with God, and the word was God. So I'm just going to read that quote from Calvin one more time. We ought to be sober in thinking and modest in speaking about such high mysteries. Because here, we have another area of our passage that brings us outside our normal categories of thinking and understanding. So again, we're going to embark on knowing what we fully, can't fully comprehend um, in the depths and comples- complexities of God. So it says in John 1, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with god so the word was either with god or was god our minds want it to be one or the other we don't really have a category for it being both but john says here that the word was both the word and god are not identical but they're one so let's start with the phrase first the word was with god that word with so translated here when you see it elsewhere in the bible is almost always translated when you're talking about one person being with another separate person. Here are two examples in Mark. So, the people saying, talking about uh, Jesus, is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James, and Joseph, and Judas, and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And then in Mark 14, 49, um, this is Jesus actually talking. He says, day after day, I was with you in the temple. This is the Pharisees. They had come to arrest him. I was with you in the temple, and you did not seize me. So the word is a person here, not an action of God, not an attribute of God. It is a distinct person from God with a distinct personality, distinguishable from God, having a relationship with God, able to be with God, relating to him as I'm relating to you all right now. All right. But then John goes on to say that the word was not only with God, but was God. And our minds say, you can't have it both ways. Our human minds and our human understanding, we just don't have a category or a dimension. We don't even know what it is we don't have so that we can't understand this. But we must still be sober in thinking and modest in speaking about such high mysteries. Because here are some of the crucial tenets of the doctrine of the Trinity. And John brings these tenets in right away in his prologue because the whole of his gospel builds upon it the entire book of john and it must be read in light of this verse the things that jesus did and the things that jesus said are the deeds and the words of god it says in hebrews one one through three that long ago at many times and in many ways god spoke to our fathers by the prophets but in these last days he has spoken to us by his son whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the word. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Well, only God upholds the universe by the word of his power, and here it's ascribed to Jesus. Or what Eugene read for us in Colossians 1, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, That there is not merely something divine about jesus he's he's proclaiming this so that there's no doubt as to what he's saying there's no room for misunderstanding or misinterpretation john is saying that jesus is god very clearly emphatically simply and you know he wouldn't do this lightly because john was a jew and to jews monotheism was more than just a belief it was a conviction to be clung to with fierce tenacity, uh, this commentator, Leon Morris, puts it. It was a conviction to be clung to with fierce tenacity. The Jews knew with an unshakable certainty that there was, there could be only one God. And that monotheism is true, it is held true and firm in this doctrine of the Trinity. There are not two gods, or three, when you include the Holy Spirit. There is one God in three persons. The Word, Jesus, does not make up the Godhead himself, but the divinity of God the Father is just as much ascribed to God the Son. The Word was with God. He was and is God's eternal fellow, but the Word also is God. So our next point is life and light. But first, before we go into that, let me pull back into our conversation the thoughts about creation. Let me read our verse one more time. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The Word, John says, was God's agent and creation of everything that exists. We read it in Hebrews we read it in Colossians 1 already that underscores that all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So we have the major themes of this verse tying the the word Jesus to creation and to revelation or self-communication, God telling us who he is and what he's like and of deliverance and salvation. All of these are woven together tightly, And quickly but profoundly for a reason because god communicates first off to us in creation through the word so that we can see how tightly creation and salvation are connected in the new testament through the word through jesus christ in the gospel of john the word was the agent of the original creation in genesis and he is the agent of the new um, the new creation in the new testament That God that john is going to outline in the rest of his book And that new creation in that new creation. There's life in light So i'm going to move to john 3 for a little bit to kind of unpack this It's one of the most widely known texts. I think Um of the bible where it says for god so loved the world that he gave his only son That whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life Go ahead and flip to john 3 real quick. I'm going to read a little bit of this so this is Jesus talking to Nicodemus, and before he said John three sixteen, what I just read, um, he said this. So let's start in verse three. So Jesus answered him, Nicodemus, truly, truly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? So, this is one of those verses that I like to call a gospel nugget. All the major tenets of the gospel are found here in these verses. And let's talk through them with uh, the phrase, born again. So, this phrase has been used and is still still used as a derogatory term to describe um, those of us that the world sees as a touch fanatical um, in our Christianity. We take it a little too far when someone undergoes one of those complete 180s in their life, a life change that leaves everyone that knew him or her uh, wondering, who is this person? Everything about them has changed. You know, when the Wall Street banker, that, you know, high-rolling, kind of suit-wearing, money-making kind of guy, um, workaholic, when he walks away from his C-suite office, an apartment overlooking Central Park, and he moves to some Middle Eastern country to spread the gospel, everyone who knows him, knew him, says, well, I don't know what happened. All of a sudden, he was some born-again Christian throwing away his career. And when that all-night partying college student stops answering um, his friend's phone calls and stops talking about drinking and girls and drugs and hooking up, and instead of going out partying on friday nights he's going to friday night bible studies and prayer groups and all of his friends say well i don't know what happened all of a sudden he was some born-again christian that didn't want to party anymore and you see john's written just a handful of sentences here and these sentences use simple words but they tell a profound story that goes on in our heart when we step into that new creation when we believe the gospel of Jesus Christ that we are sinners and that he came to die for our sins and we stop seeking and looking towards evil and sin to satisfy us but we hate the sin that we see in our life and are sanctified by the Holy Spirit to get that sin out of our life and we put all our chips on the table for Jesus, to, for Jesus Christ. So the sentence uses simple words but they, have a, they tell a profound story. And this story broke through on the day that God said, let there be light. And they've echoed through the ages until that very same word broke into this material plane that we call earth becoming flesh. And it sent shockwaves through the system, ushering in this new creation. The nature of it sounds absurd, being born again. But those of us who experience it, who are blown by this wind that jesus says blows where it wishes which by the way is a reference to the holy spirit we hear it sound and our hearts are regenerated and our whole world the whole world changes and we realize that we're more than just flesh and bone and time and material we are meant for a purpose and we are designed for a thing to be done to participate in a communion that exists We are spirit and we are born of the spirit and all of that dark and all of that death and all of that sin that plagues the world and that plagues our hearts, it's swept away in the cross because the word became flesh and we see glimmers of God's kingdom in ways that we've never seen before, could never imagine and we say to ourselves, well, I don't know what happened. All of a sudden, I was just born again a new creation, a new world, opened up for me. And life as I know it, well, it's over. It's gone. I'm changed. I may as well, I may as well have climbed back up into the womb a second time because that's even stranger than what's happening in my heart right now. It's more unbelievable than that. I am born again. I am new. And we confirm, along with Paul, the experience that he lays out in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, where he says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation— the old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. And all of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Once, like it says in Colossians, um, we felt alienated and hostile towards God and the Bible and Jesus. And then a light turned on and everything changed and we're born again. And we take that derogatory, born again term or title, and we pick it up and we wear it as a badge or a life jacket or a lifeline. Our lifeline to the life and light that's spoken of in this verse. And we say, the word became flesh and I am born again. The old has passed away and the new has come. And no matter where we came from, whatever life that we have to and had to leave behind, we cling to this new creation, this new birth. It is our origin story because it explains more about who we are than any other thing that's ever happened to us, any other thing that we've gone through throughout our lives. It is our origin, and it's brought about by the originator himself, the originator of existence. And we, like Thomas, when he saw you know doubting thomas when he saw jesus the risen jesus and jesus says come and put your your hands in my side and and in the nail marks and we come just like thomas did and we put our fingers in the side of our risen lord and savior the word become flesh and we say my lord and my god and we see life and we see light because in him was life and that life was light of men we see life at first through the original creation, but we see it more through the new creation. And in John 10, we read that Jesus came that people would have life and have it more abundantly. There is more to life than just living and breathing and surviving. In John three sixteen, that we just read, Jesus says that he came to give life, um, everlasting life, eternal life. And when Jesus, Jesus' friends Lazarus died, a little bit later on in chapter 9 of Um, The book of john and lazarus had been dead in the tomb for days and jesus was walking toward the city um, Where lazarus had died and martha lazarus's sister comes running out and jesus says to her I am the resurrection and the life whoever believes in me though. He die yet shall he live You see there are two meanings to the word life here in this verse Two distinct powers belong to the word who became flesh The first power is manifested in the original creation of the world its structure and its order the life that happened because the, the, the earth rotates and the water evaporates and then the rain falls down and the plants grow and the air is breathed and he started that order and he sustains that order but there is another life-giving power at play here in these verses. The word who became flesh renews and restores us from our fallen nature. Our origin story is no longer wrapped up in the fall of Adam. Our origin story is wrapped up in the birth, death, and resurrection of Christ. The life of the word made flesh. And that life is the light of men. As it says later in John 8, 12, that Jesus is the light of the world. Whoever follows him will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So brothers and sisters, those of us who are born again, remember your origin story. If there is anyone in here this morning, if there is anyone in here this morning that is listening to me talk about being born again, and you just don't understand what I'm saying, see the light of christ shine on you and it will overcome the darkness which brings us to the next point darkness john 1 5 says the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it so the light shines by the way is the first time that john has used a present tense verb the light shines it is shining the light is continually in action so in one sense, the context of creation is the best way to think through what it means by when, when John uses the word light shining in the darkness. Um, you know, before there was light, before said God, God said, let there be light, there was just darkness. But then once, it, darkness was just the absence of light. But once life was there, darkness was just swallowed up. But I think that this verse is, um, is saying a little bit more than that, mainly because... Um, without a Christian background and without having read John, you might not see the oral undertones of this verse. So there are lots of verses that, that, uh, that I could look at to unpack this, but I'm, again, going to go to John three nineteen through 21, where Jesus says, And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and the people loved darkness rather than light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not want to come to the light lest his works should be exposed But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God So we see in, in this context the context of the books as a whole that the darkness is in our own immoral hearts you see since the fall We've lost the formal access to life found in the garden of creation. We had it, but we wanted more. And even now, even those of us that are in Christ that are born again, we still feel, we still feel it in our sinful nature. We want more. We want to be God ourselves. We want to be the originator, the decider between good and evil, between light and darkness, between death and life. But you see, our minds are so completely overwhelmed in the ignorance of these things, these things that are so high and lofty, and our hearts are so prone to evil, that the light that was in us in the beginning, in creation, as we are God's image bearers, well, that light has been quenched and is useless because of sin and death. And we we know this from our experiences. We fall short all the time. Even those of us who don't believe in Jesus Even folks that profess they don't believe in God and they don't believe in the afterlife. I think that even those folks, if they're honest, they would say they feel guilty at times because they know that there is light that we want to be in us, but it's quenched because of our, our evil desires. We know and everyone knows that we're made for more than just merely breathing and moving stuff around in this world. We're made to be part of something larger. But in the pursuit of that, time and time again our reason fails us and we don't go towards god we don't come into the light we veer toward the darkness because we don't want our guilt exposed we don't want our heart exposed because you see since we ate that fruit good and evil have been ingrained on our consciences and we live in this realm of cognitive dissonance we're not in tune with creation's song we're off key we're out of pitch That's what we have left of the original creation. That's where we stand now, and that's where we'll stay. But the word became flesh, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness hasn't overcome it. And so Jesus says, I've come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. And John ends his gospel in chapter 20, verse 31, saying that these things are written, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that, by leaving, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. So brothers and sisters, we have believed. Remember our origin story. We are born again. We are a new creation. Here in a minute, we're going to take the Lord's Supper. And actually, we're, we're at that point. If the men that are helping serve the Lord's Supper, Supper want to come forward, you can make your way up. And our musicians, too. So we're going to take the Lord's Supper. But remember what this means. Preach this to yourself. If you could, flip to John 6, 51. And as we're passing out the elements, read this over and and ponder it. It says uh, that Jesus is the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Lord's Supper is for those who are born again. And maybe some of you aren't yet born again. And we ask that you just let the elements pass. Um, You don't need to take the Lord's Supper with us. That's fine. There's no judgment. There's no expectation that you would. But please remember what it says in John 3, that the wind blows and the spirit blows into our hearts. And maybe today, just maybe today, you see the light of Christ. So while we're taking the Lord's Supper, think about it. Think, what is your origin story? Is it tied to your life where you were born, how you lived, what you've experienced? Or is the word calling you to a new creation, a new and better eternal origin story? So we'll pass out the bread and the juice all at once, and then we'll have it all at once, um, and then we'll eat and drink together.